Welcome to DC Signal to Noise on this busy, busy Friday. I'm John Harris from Farm Journal, joined by Jim Wiesmeyer from Pro Farmer, our diviner of signal and noise. And Jim, a whole lot of stuff to get to this week and, and a whole lot of stuff that is of great interest to uh, particularly the farmers and landowners out there listening and watching. And speaking of watching, remind you that we do stream this live as we're recording it on the AgriTalk Facebook page, 2 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Central, every Friday afternoon. So we encourage you to join in, ask questions as we're going along in the Facebook chat. Do that every Friday at 1 Central, 2 Eastern. And thanks, Mary, for telling us a happy Friday. We appreciate that. We hope it is a happy Friday for everybody. Yes. Let's get into it, Jim. Um, the biggest news this week, it's news we've been waiting for for a while, is um, that announcement from USDA Secretary Tom Vilsack about CFAP funding. Um, I guess the biggest news in this is he said what we predicted he would end up saying, and that the $20 per acre payments, there was no flexibility for him in doing that. He said the same thing. It's prescribed in the law. We're going to move forward. Those checks are going to go out starting next month. Absolutely. And and they, they threw a, a curve you know, we, we talk about the December 21st bill that was passed by Congress. Really, that's CFAP 3, and farmers will still keep calling that. I don't blame it. But USDA threw out a term because they're a new administration. they got to muck things up. They're calling this now the Pandemic Assistance for Producers, or PAP. I don't think that's the wisest choice, but uh, no. anyway, this is what they call it. But we're still going to call it CFAP three. Yeah, and just a little distinction that that program that uh, Secretary Vilsack announced. Um, he's looking at six billion dollars, roughly. That some of it comes from money allocated from CFAP. Some that was already there. Some we don't really know where it comes from. So there, there, uh, it, it is mostly CFAP three, but there is maybe some distinction there? Well, there is some. They've morphed some things in. But what I what these are some of the questions or points that I know Pro Farmer has been making and receiving from farmers. I, I want to stress that the top-up payments for livestock, cattle, uh, hogs, and row crops are being run through the existing programs. And that came about as a via a rule correction, John. What does that mean? That means USDA did not have to go through a new rulemaking and can just mail the checks out without taking additional applications. But there's a kicker here. That's not been widely reported. USDA is not adjusting the payment limitations, payment caps, at all, where yeah. it was really the farm state lawmakers' intention to have them increase that payment cap for CFAP3. And, and the, the proof is in the pudding here now. Previously, it was estimated that livestock top-up would spend around $2 billion, but now USDA is estimating it at only $1.1 billion after the payment limitations, which hmm. were not changed. That's about 45% less than Congress intended. Now, I've already heard some howling from the larger livestock producers, and and you know, row crops, uh, you know, they'd have to have a little over seven thousand acres to hit the, uh, you, uh, you know, to hit the payment limitation. So I don't think that will have as much effect as many folks in the livestock area. But I'm telling you, that was a major change. Now, how could USDA do that? I've had lawyers tell me. 
Congress wasn't prescriptive enough in the legislative language, which was another lesson learned. You think they know this. So USDA did have the discretion to do it the way they did. And they informed me this was the only way they found out to get the money out the door quickly without additional rulemaking. So if they would have had to do that, they would have had to delay those payments, John. So there's pluses and minuses in this. Yeah, and, and there obviously was a, a big focus on getting this out as quickly as possible. And uh, again, to do that, they needed to avoid rulemaking. Um, you, you mentioned the livestock sector. Another sector definitely concerned about those payment limits is the dairy sector. We've got a question here from Mary. says, what is available for dairy farmers, government buying more products? Would this make, uh, make more PPD? Um, there is provision in there for dairy and some of this immediate money. What have we got here, Jim? Well, they, they grouped, uh, you know, uh, you know, a couple dairy, you know, programs together through the donations. You know, I'm going through because I've got to use. I, I'm almost like President Biden. I have to use my cheat sheets here at, at his press conference yesterday. But but there are a couple of things in in the dairy end that that they'll you know on the donation side and the uh, uh, additional uh, aid, uh, you know, what they call other means, you know, on that. But I think this dairy provision would probably also impact the dairy uh, crowd as well, John. The, the cap, you mean? on, on Absolutely, the, the cap. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, in fact, they probably hit it faster than about anybody, especially the larger dairies. Yes. And I know we had, uh, you know, Senator Moran on AgriTalk this morning, and he said he was going to talk to uh, Vilsack about this, but uh, it would take additional legislation to, uh, you know, you know, change that. I don't, I, this kind of fits, I know Secretary Vilsack's um, proclivity in farm program payments. I think they're going after the smaller to medium producer and you can spread around the money more to other sectors. And as I said before, uh, they had had additional money to work with after not increasing the payment cap. And that's why they did a couple of things that they did with the, uh, you know, uh, uh, um, uh, uh, what I would call selected minority farmers and things like that, John. All right, a couple comments here. Ben says PPD is killing the dairymen. Uh, Pat uh, questions. So CFAP one is ketchup. CFAP two is fifty-five dollars for non-breeding. Does CFAP AA or CFAP three have anything for cattle? They did have uh, they, for cattle. Oh, they did, and they have the uh, per payment rate. I'm trying to see what what we have here on it. Boy, that's so. I know I had it online. Here we go on cattle. Uh, Cattle producers who applied for CFAP-1 will automatically receive the additional payments, okay, based on the inventory between April 16th, 2020 and May 14th, 2020. The payments will be $7 per head for feeder cattle, less than 600 pounds, $25.50 per head for feeder cattle, 600 pounds or more, $63 per head for fed cattle, and $14.75 for mature cattle, and $17.25 per head for all other cattle. And you touched on something that is a nice provision of this is that if you've already uh, applied for CFAP in any of the rounds before, you don't have to apply again in most cases. Absolutely. You know, that's the efficiency part of this. And, you know, anyone should applaud that. Yeah, indeed. They are reopening uh, application for CFAP 2 starting April 5th. It'll be open for at least 30 days. So there is another window. If you have not applied previously, you get uh, uh, another bite at the apple here, if you will, uh, starting April 5th on that. 
Um, now, John, and again, additional payments to swine and contract producers under CFAP AA. Remember, that's additional aid, the uh, you know, CFAP AA. That remains on hold, USDA said, and it's likely to require modification. Uh, though FSA will continue to accept applications. So they're saying, you know, you remember that was going to be about 90% of that uh, uh, money, the additional money was going to be on contract producers. Uh, that's going to on hold. And uh, USDA is frankly saying that's likely, uh, you know, you know, going to be modified somewhat. Yeah, indeed modified to benefit um, specialty crops. And, and and, and biofuels. biofuels producers, yes. And we asked Moran about this, and USDA kept it general because, frankly, John, and I don't blame them on this one, they don't know yet. They're, they're still thinking through that program as if, you know, USDA before Vilsack got there didn't have enough time to uh, your research this. But anyway, that's to be determined later. Uh, so we'll see. Yeah, uh, biofuels industry very happy so far that they're even getting uh, a mention in this. But uh, again, they don't know what that amount's going to be, what form it's going to be, what who they're going to get it, who, any of that stuff. Who yeah. gets it? Who gets it? Right. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I agree. I agree. But I, we've had Vilsack on AgriTalk, what, a couple of weeks ago, and he signaled again that he didn't flat out say it, but he signaled that you, Congress is challenging USDA to come up with a, some type of a biofuel aid program. And I, I think knowing the politics of this, uh, I think uh, Vilsack and the Democrats are going to be positive for the biofuels uh, industry. You saw that when, uh, um, you know, Biden ran for president, how they came out relative to those uh, waivers on the RFS saying, uh, hey, hold on, there shouldn't be nearly as many announced. So at least that's the expectation that uh, someday we're, you know, we're going to get a biofuel aid, uh, you know, package, John. Yeah. And the signal we get up and down this administration is that they are friendly to biofuels from uh, President Biden, as you mentioned, from uh, Tom Vilsack has long been a uh, pretty vocal supporter of biofuels. Michael Reagan, the new EPA administrator, has been a vocal supporter of biofuels. So at least the signals they're throwing so far uh, indicate that th there should be good news for the biofuels industry coming, but the check hasn't been mailed yet. No, but that's going to also morph into their climate change, you know, debate as the biofuel industry uh, 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 finally is on the front end of an issue uh, thinking, uh, you know, they're going to morph into this climate change debate because they've got a story to tell, uh, you know, regarding the positive impacts of, uh, of, of the biofuel industry relative to the, you know, carbon situation. Yeah, indeed, and we'll probably circle back to some of that when yes. we start talking about uh, carbon and USDA and what we learned or didn't learn this week. Um, in uh, well, first of all, what so what do we still not know? We've covered some of it. But what do do we still not know about CFAP uh, going forward? Well, we know the twenty dollar per acre. That's the big one for the uh, you know you know field crops. That that right. that's going to be made as in early April. I think the the spec sheet says April the fifth. Uh, so I would just say early April. Uh, so, but that's the big one. Uh, but from the livestock sector, this top up, uh, you know, uh, that will also 
you know, those will also be made. It's these contract producers that were, you know, as we said, it's on hold. And But even payments to domestic users of upland cotton and extra long staple cotton, uh, the payment rates uh, calculated, uh, they said, by multiplying six cents per pound by the average monthly consumption of the domestic user from January 2017 through December uh, 2019, then multiplying it by 10. So it, we we also have some certainty relative to the cotton industry as well, uh, John. And they're going to they they uh, they're going to finalize what they call routine decisions and minor formula adjustments on applications and and beginning processing payments for you know part of the CFAP AA program. So there's kind of a mixture uh, here as far as what's known and what's not known, John. All right. Here's one to really dig down for you, Jim, from uh, Kathy asking, is there anything in CFAP for bees and honey production? Boy, that was part of, I don't know, but we'll find out. We will find out. I think that was one of the areas that they wanted to expand on. And, and there's kind of the signal that Vilsack gave early on. He wanted to expand the, the ag sector who had not been under CFAP 1 and CFAP 2 to get some of the aid relative to, again, what we call now pandemic assistance for producers. So we'll double check, but I remember typing in honey in some of my <laughs> copy this week. So my bias is that it does include it, but I know the details aren't, aren't out on that one. So it, uh, um, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll double back on that one. Okay. And we're going to know a lot of people are making questions and comments about um, the assistance farmers of color. We'll get to that here in just a little bit. And again, if you have a question, drop it in the comment section there on Facebook. If you're listening on the uh, podcast, be sure to join us um, next time Friday at 2 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Central. So you can ask us questions as we're going along here. Um, Jim, let's, uh, Secretary Vilsack, um, in announcing the CFAP money, also made a couple of appearances, one a one-on-one -on -one interview with the Washington Post, another in a press conference or press call with National Association of Farm Broadcasters, um, or not National Association of Farm Broadcasting. Tam, Tom Brand will get after me for that one. Yeah. Um, <laughs> old habits die hard. Um, anyways, he, he pointed out that 99% of the CFET money, uh, $38 billion roughly paid out so far, has gone to white farmers. He said 1% went to disadvantaged farmers. One-tenth of 1% went to black farmers and really spent a lot of time talking about it. Obviously, it's it's something that uh, is concerning him and that he plans to do something about. Uh, first of all, what's your reaction to his focus on that? Well, it's good. Put it in a macro key because he's going to keep saying it a lot because he says it wherever he goes, you know. Uh, in the data that I've seen, I want to stress this, I do not see uh, uh, systemic, you know, discrimination. That does not mean individual, uh, you know, farmers of minority, of color selected, you know, minorities uh, have not been discriminated against. But bottom line, the clear signal we're getting from Tom Vilsack and Democrats up on Capitol Hill is that they're, they're going to add on 
to the uh, $4 billion in payments uh, that's already law and another billion dollars for technical assistance for farmers uh, of color. And that's basically what Vilsack said at the hearing yesterday, that, you know, despite the previous efforts that I've said to remedy, uh, you know, racism and, and discrimination against black, you know, black farmers and other farmers of color, more needs to be done to drive our efforts deeper. So you're going to see a bill uh, that the uh, uh, House Ag Committee is going to chew on because they, they really did that hearing Thursday, John, for material from the hearing to be used in drafting, you know, the legislation. Yeah, and and this is going to tie into uh, that that five billion dollars set aside for farmers uh, of color um, that, uh, you know, is, is forgiveness of uh, federal uh, USDA loans um, plus 20% back. And, and, um, and we've covered that extensively on here, but I, I guess- And the average payment, the estimated average payment to uh, eligible farmers is $222,000. I like to point mm -hmm. that out. Okay, that's interesting. Um, it, there has been, you know, I, I don't know whether there is systemic racism now, as as you said. The numbers to me are, don't show it. I ran yeah. them Sunday. I ran them Monday in our, you know, what's ahead in Washington, and at least the numbers. I like to go to the numbers. We're into this numbers game here, yeah. but that's what it shows to me that yes, that but that doesn't mean there hasn't been discrimination. Oh my goodness, there has been, but systemic. I think that's a bit strong. No, but there has been in the past. Um, uh, you know, and maybe not intentionally by USDA, but just the, um, what you look at, you look at the numbers again and, and the, the share of farmers that are of color, um, over the last century is, is dropped dramatically. Um, and, and so there is a, a trust factor one that needs to be built at USDA so that those, uh, farmers of color feel, um, that they are on an equal footing and feel comfortable coming into USDA, um, providing that information and applying for those programs. I think USDA has got some work to do there because of uh, misdeeds in the past. Um, but, but my concern with how these programs are structured now is it's not doing anything to bring more farmers of color back into the business. It is paying out to uh, existing farmers and, and forgiving loans but what is it doing to really rectify the, the root problem? Well, you've identified it. That's where this coming bill, that House Ag Committee Chairman David Scott, Democrat from Georgia, that's what's going to come out where they can attract more uh, black farmers uh, regarding helping them uh, get, you know, farm acreage, uh, et cetera. Uh, the, that was clear. And we have a number of bills in the Senate you know, on that as well. I think that's the next step, uh, John, not only to uh, to answer some of the past discrimination, reparations, if you will, I don't think there's another word for it, but also to attract, you know, farmers of color to the industry. And that's where you get at looking at your uh, acreage availability assistance, et cetera. And that's, that was made clear during the hearings. And I do want to put up a point for both sides, point counterpoint that I pulled out two quotes from the hearing yesterday. Austin Scott, uh, Scott uh, he's Republican from Georgia. He objected that to group people out on the color of their skin is discriminatory. He's told that us before. Uh, 
Yeah. But he's under the definition USDA will use for socially disadvantaged farmers. He said, quote, you will be you will pay off loans for foreign nationals, but not white women. And then another Republican said that although many farmers struggle, loan forgiveness was available, quote, only if you're a certain color. Now, Representative Alma Adams, Democrat from North Carolina, responded, we've studied the Constitution defending the debt forgiveness program. She said a 1995 Supreme Court decision allows race-based remedies. So she's among a dozen House members, John, of the Justice for Black Farmers Act. That's going to create a land-grant program for black farmers, establish an independent board to investigate complaints of discrimination within USDA, oversee the farmer-elected county committees that will guide operations at local USDA offices, FSA, et cetera, and boost funding to resolve the, quote, heirs' property issues. So that's what's coming, John. This is a multiple-step approach. Yeah, and and uh, Secretary Vilsack seems to be uh, welcoming all of that so far. Uh, but, Jim, uh, you got into this discussion a little bit on AgriTalk this morning, and there was a concern voiced about, uh, I think everyone would agree that it is appropriate to uh, allow um, minority farmers to get in the front of the line or closer to the front of the line in some of these programs to make up for discrimination of the past. Um, but a yes. fear that was expressed on Agritruck this morning was a completely different farm program for minority farmers versus white farmers. Yeah, sensitive issues. You know, it there's is. pros and cons on that. Yeah, there's no right answer. That's what we're going through. But at least uh, they're having hearings on this to address it. So I do applaud uh, that rather than coming out without any hearings and paying out $4 billion, at least now we have a hearing for the next uh, approach. On, on this one. But, you know, this is filtering through the country, John. I, I pointed out earlier this week, Evanston, Illinois, uh, 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 approved a reparations payment uh, for uh, black citizens in there from a, if they could prove it. Now, there's something. They had to prove it uh, from a base period. I think it began in 1969. But you, this could be probably the first of more than a few reparations issues in this great country. All eyes are going to be on USDA. And uh, uh, I think most of the eyes are going to be on the prospective planning report, although you rightly point out that there's probably uh, should be folks, uh, folks should be peeking at the grain stocks report as well that's coming out Wednesday. Um, before we got started here, you said um, you anticipate it is going to be um, an exciting day when those reports come out. What are you expecting to see? Well, especially, we know there's going to be more corn and soybean acres relative to last year. So that's a known. How much is the key? But I, March 1 grain stocks, you know, pro-farmer analysts have said are likely to be the data that could really impact the markets because traders in the past have widely missed their forecast for quarterly corn stocks for <laughs> years. And USDA has made major revisions to the previous quarters, the past two reports. And you look at the range of industry estimates for the March 1 stocks, there are over 400 million bushels for corn and nearly that large for soybeans. 
the bottom line, someone's going to be surprised, aren't they, with that range? Yes. So I'll well, almost guarantee you a market, you know, impact from the grain stocks. Well, especially if USDA comes back and says, oh, you know, once again, we had a bunch of uh, changes in commercial storage that we're now yeah. going to reflect in the report. Yeah, we found corn or something like that. Yes. Yeah. Um, but the, so the estimates, uh, USDA last month, well, most everybody's in that 182, 183 million acres for combined corn and soybeans. USDA had it, what, 92 million corn, 90 million uh, soybeans. Pro farmer was skewed a little bit more heavy towards corn. Uh, Bloomberg in their average this week actually took it up another million acres combined, uh, mostly in soybeans, I believe. So um, there is a mix out there. I talked a little bit with uh, Chip Flory yesterday, and uh, you know he says that that um, you know ninety million for uh, soybeans, ninety two for corn is you know about what the the market has baked in. That's where the over under sits right now. Um, so watch for deviation for the, those numbers for action in the market. I guess you mean for plantings there. For planting, yeah. Yes, yeah, that's about right. Uh, we're, uh, uh, I remember when I last visited this, uh, corn could be up one to two million acres, uh, soybeans seven to nine million from year ago. And that's kind of where we're at. And and on the grain stocks, if it's lower than expected for soybeans, w w you're already market sensitive relative to carry over stocks. So that could be quite mm -hmm. volatile. But we have data checks for soybeans. You have crush and you have export. So it shouldn't be that much of a shocker, but sometimes it is. Uh, corn is a grab bag because of what you just said. The commercial uh, stock surprise the last time, usually it's the on farm, on farm stocks that gives NAS the most problem. But uh, the uh, you know the last time it was the commercial stocks and I don't know what's going on there, John. Yeah, um, we, it is worth pointing out that uh, this is the first survey-based report. Um, last month's was an estimate from USDA, so this is coming from actual f uh, farmer surveys, and they're announcing their intentions to USDA um, in their reporting. So it'll be interesting to watch and, and see what comes out Wednesday and how the market reacts to it. Um, talked at the start of the show, Jim, about some dueling H-2A bills. Yeah, but I, I want to point out one thing first, John, and we'll, yeah. we'll come back to that. I want to bridge into USDA in mid-April is going to host their 2021 virtual oh, yeah. data users uh, uh, you know, uh, you know, meeting, CONFAB, if you will. And that's when the National Ag Statistics Service uh, holding their biannual data users meeting, April 14th and 15th. It's free. Virtual meeting is open to the public. And Ag Marketing Service is going to be there. World Board Meteorology is going to be there. The World Board's going to be represented. This is the time to get your views known because of all the criticism that has been received relative to the NAS crop uh, you know, numbers the past year or so, including uh, cotton. Uh, and then uh, the grain stocks, uh, you know, uh, item that we've already mentioned. And on the World Board, how slow they were to the punch regarding the uh, total demand for China for world corn, especially the U.S. Now's the time to make your views known because I hear it wherever. I was in Arizona last week and I several questions regarding what's going on at USDA. So now's the time to voice your concerns. Do you think USDA is getting ready to address those concerns? Do they do they see this data users conference as an opportunity to to maybe provide some narrative on those concerns? 
I hope, hopefully they will. NASA in the past has always been accommodating to listen, at least in my 40 years. I, I remember when they used to be called the statistical reporting service. I go mm -hmm. back so far, you know. So let's hope they're, they're in a listening mode because everyone, I think, agrees now NASA needs to modernize. And that was one of the uh, issues on their agenda, uh, uh, John, to modernize because uh, I'm working on a story now that a group I know of that, that this uh, uh, robots, if you will, can go out in the fields and they can count themselves, either drones or whatever, soybean pods, et cetera, diseases. And, they, and that puts all the data is put in uh, into computation for a potential crop size. Let's hope. I know NAS has to be subscribing to some of these, but to me right now, the private industry looks like they're ahead of USDA in a number of areas, and that shouldn't be. Not what the money USDA, you know, spends at uh, enumerating some of these, uh, you know, reports. That's hopefully what NAS will take up this call to true themselves up. All right, so that's a place to watch for signal there in mid-April yes. as they hold that data users conference. Now let's let's circle back to uh, H-2A bills. We had the Farm Workforce Modernization Act has made it out of the House. Doesn't look like it's going to go anywhere fast in the Senate. Um, so now we've got the AGRA Act. Uh, Senator, or excuse me, uh, Congressman Crawford out of Arkansas was on AgriTalk this week to talk about it and, and express his concerns about the Farm Workforce Modernization Act and why he thinks the AGRA Act uh, is better. Um, obviously, the biggest concern um, for a lot of agriculture is getting year-round workers um, in, in either one of those bills, and they both address it kind of in different ways. Um, but I think uh, Crawford, as a Republican, one of his biggest concerns uh, of the the act that is our that has already passed the House is the uh, provisions for citizenship in here. And he said, you know, flat out, we shouldn't assume that the goal of everybody coming to the U.S. to work is citizenship. Uh, most of the time, they're they're coming here to make money for their families um, and not necessarily looking to become citizens here. So, uh, but at the end of the day, Jim, do either of these bills stand a chance in the Senate? You know, I hope I'm wrong relative to this issue. I, I do hope that it will be bought, the House version will be modified in the Senate because I think it needs to be improved. That's why I think the Farm Bureau is against what passed, what passed the uh, House. Uh, we may have to Maybe have they them come out, out against the farmers. They, they came out against it. Yes. Oh, yes. That's interesting. Yes. But now, I the, the I'll, I'll answer your 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 question. I don't think I don't think we'll see it this year. Look at Biden's press conference yesterday on the whole southern border issue that gets you into the uh, you know immigration uh, issue. Uh, he blamed the Trump administration for the problems at the southern border and, and said erringly that it happens every every single solitary year. Even NBC recently called the crossings the highest in 20 years. Then at the, at one point he actually accused former president Trump of letting immigrant children, and this is a direct quote, starve to death on the other side, end of quote, of the Mexican border. That isn't how you get legislation passed, John. Yeah. So I just, I, when, when I saw this yesterday, my already negative uh, odds for, you know, any type of uh, uh, immigration reform just plundered, this just mm -hmm. went down. 
And, and it's so neat. I, I mentioned that uh, Congressman Crawford was on AgriTalk right after that. Um, Chip had on a couple of farmers, including Dwayne Faber from uh, Audi and I believe Washington State. And I think he hit the nail on the head. He said, um, you know, either we're going to be importing our labor or importing our food. And which would you rather have? And I'm, I'm, he's probably right. We're probably getting close to that. Uh, and 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 somewhat of a sense, yeah. Uh, it just this this is once you get into an issue and emotional, it, they want it as an issue rather than a policy determination. It gets on border security, and you're seeing it right now. We do not have border security now. To be fair, Biden is trying to take actions, but they're not even being transparent in letting the reporters into these facilities and you heard the president biden say yesterday when when asked fi finally a good follow-up question mr president when will you allow other reporters to go in basically he said when we have the problem solved so that's that that's that just adds to the frustration on this issue john yeah and i i did i have to admit i did not see the press conference but i did see that clip and I, yeah it kind of scratched my head that that's not transparent if you aren't gonna let anybody in until you've put your solution in place yeah. people need to know what the situation is right now so that will be interesting to track but again um you saying the signal is no signal on immigration for the foreseeable future I agree with that assessment. That's a good recap. Yes. Uh, I, I, I hope right. I'm wrong. Hope I'm wrong. Because as you said, I, dairy does need uh, changes and and uh, agriculture needs uh, changes. Uh, uh, you, you need the, the meat processing industry. The horticulture industry needs uh, uh, workers. So if... Uh, if we did have a spirit of compromise, we could work on this. But boy, what the... Uh, uh, with the animosity between the two political parties. Uh, Biden, again, I'll quote him from yesterday, he raised the question, there, there really isn't even a Republican Party anymore. He said that one, too, because I guess of Trump. You know, yeah, so yeah. it's just it's pretty raw in this, even, even raw each week. So that doesn't bode well. Uh, and then to, to bring up, I hate to bring up other issues, he gave more than lip service to doing away with the filibuster. And if you're going to do that, as as Minority Leader Mitch McConnell said, he, they'll the Republicans will drive uh, the process uh, down to uh, uh, nothing being done in the Senate. And so that's what we're dealt with right now. It's getting worse rather than better, John. Well, we've got two parties that have no interest at all in actually dealing with issues. They're they're worried about winning the 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 PR of the day, and that's that's it. Period. Um, and, and which is not a good sign for going into a debate over an infrastructure bill, which is, uh, you know, there are things that both parties want in this infrastructure bill, but there's no signal at all that either party is willing to come into this earnestly talking about the priorities of the country uh, and, and what can be solved in an infrastructure bill, but rather how they can bludgeon the other side with it. I think both sides are, are equally guilty of that. Yes, but again, I'm going to go back to the press conference. We finally had one. Uh, Biden agreed with former President Obama that the filibuster is a, quote, relic of the Jim Crow era. But it, then he didn't say what other changes he would support. Where was the follow-up questions from White House reporters who were horrible yesterday? Most of them, not all, almost all of them who should have said, you know, the last four times the filibuster was used was 
by the Democrats and by the way, President Biden, in 2005 and 2006, you signed on to the filibuster on against Supreme Court Justice Samuel Alito. Uh, was it racist then? You know, those are the types of follow-up questions you usually got. And I'll guarantee you, you would have got them if if this was on the other side, if Trump was in. So uh, this filibuster, I'm telling you, this filibuster issue is a major one, John, that could really cast a, 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 even a more negative pall uh, in, in this town. So I would watch it. Now, on the infrastructure issue. Biden is going to give a major address in Pittsburgh on Wednesday during the during the press conference. He said Friday, but it's going to be Wednesday in <laughs> Pittsburgh. That's where we could finally see some even more details relative to the major three to four trillion dollar, at least infrastructure proposal. Uh, that's really linked into climate change. It's it's linked into uh, 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 health care reform. There's your big. Uh, there's the big issue that that there is consensus to have infrastructure from both political parties, but is how they do that because the conundrum for Republicans is they know that Biden and the Democrats want to significantly increase taxes on what they call the rich. Uh, to help pay for some of that multi-trillion dollar infrastructure package. Not a word was mentioned about the ag sector component relative to tax reforms. I, I thought that was interesting. Yeah. We may find out that Wednesday, but the possibilities are capital gain. You know, taxing capital gains is, is, uh, in, on an annual basis you know, uh, and also losing stepped-up bases. Vilsack is, I don't think, far that. I think he made that signal uh, yesterday, I thought that was noteworthy, and uh, and other aspects of uh, lowering the exemption from estate taxes. So we're going to have a lot of news maybe break next Wednesday in Pittsburgh, John. All right. Uh, John, thanks for reminding us. We forgot to get into this when we were talking about CFAP. Uh, any updates on the second half of the WIP Plus payment? Good. All the talk of government payments as of late. <laughs> Here's, oh, I've checked on this a lot of times in the morning, and I'm going through to make sure I get it right. Uh, no word on the second half because we're waiting for the first half to be completed. <laughs> Can you believe that? Well, and I need to know what dollars are available. And that's true. And the quality loss assistance to be paid which was extended. Remember, the time period for that was yeah. extended, to be fair. So uh, let me give you the signal. They, those payments will be made. And if additional funding has to be presented, I thought we got some additional funding in the December bill, which I thought they did. I think that was $1.1 billion additional. So they should have enough funding to make that uh, available. That's WIP, uh, you know, plus. Uh, what about 2020? Uh, there's no authorization for that. I think that'll come out sometime this year out of Congress. USDA's FSA offices have been swamped. We'll bridge the other news here, John, because it fits here. 
remember a few weeks ago we talked on the podcast that USDA put out a guidance that the maximum number of on-site people in the FSA service centers were no more than 25%. They've changed that to up to 50%. So that's a step in the right direction. They said they based that on guidelines from the CDC. So they're starting to make some progress here on what I would call sensible you know, decisions here. Yeah, and keep in mind that a lot of that FSA staff that isn't in the office is still working from home. They are still processing, but obviously that creates a challenge for uh, producers who need to go in and file paperwork at their local FSA office. It that just makes it murkier. It just makes it more time consuming. Yeah, but yeah. hopefully they can get more to a balance where they can have the front end processors and hand off to the folks working at home and, and find yeah. a balance there. All right, uh, you ready to take on carbon? Yeah, I'm going to have you go first on this one. You're going to have me go? Okay. Well, where I saw a little bit of clarity this week, um, Robert Bonney, who is the undersecretary that's the, the point person at USDA for uh, the, the carbon measures, the environmental measures at USDA, he spoke uh, with um, the AgriPulse uh, Food and Ag Policy Summit this week uh, with Sarah Wyant's shop over there. Yes. And um, he, he said that USDA is not looking to put in place any sort of carbon market. He said that they want to do a carbon bank. And so then I followed up with Secretary Vilsack Friday in that availability with NAFB, and I asked him, okay, well, what? where do you make this distinction? It got a little muddy there, but he, he said that carbon markets only benefit the marketplace and, and the corporate players, and they want to do something that benefits farmers. Um, Robert Bonney, back in his comments, indicated that maybe they were looking at things like purchasing carbon credits and retiring them in order to uh, maintain value of carbon credits, um, those types of moves. But but not, and of course, the, the research um, and the, the information needed to create some sort of measuring stick for carbon credits, but they don't want to be uh, operating a bank or a uh, marketplace in and of itself. So I thought that provided some some clarity over what some people were assuming uh, USDA was headed in this. All right, Jim, what have you got on it? Well, I'm at the same conference and other spots in this town with Republican lawmakers are really hands reserved on 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 the future of of this program, John. So I think it was added more complexity to this uh, issue rather than, you know, clarity. Uh, I think that there was more murkiness uh, from, you know, statements. Uh, so there's really, there's some growing opposition to even using USDA's Commodity Credit Corporation, uh, you know, uh, you know, funding for whatever they want to do relative to the carbon bank. And, uh, you know, Robert Bonney is the expert on this. There's no doubt about it. But again, I think he also has to be balanced because, of course, he wants something to be done in this area. I think that's where his passion is at. So you also have to look at the other side. Who's who? Who either doesn't support it, or who is noting some negatives relative to some of these initial ideas? We don't even have a consensus a consensus on the legacy, you know, members whether or not those people who were early on uh, right. in no till, etc. There is no consensus in town uh, on that one. So that's to be expected. What I'm signaling here, John, is uh, later rather than sooner because we we don't have the, uh, the markers to uh, write, you know, the legislation. We are far from that right now. 
Well, and that was one of the points. Uh, Glenn G.D. Thompson, the ranking member of the House Agriculture Committee, also spoke with AgriPulse, and he was not a fan of where this is headed so far um, and, and pointed out some of those very things that, that you just did. Um, and I think one of the, the perils that USDA is in right now, um, and it's, I don't know that there's a way to avoid it, but they have created this vacuum. They have created this expectation of something coming quickly on addressing carbon in USDA and addressing it somehow through carbon markets. Um, but they don't, they aren't saying yet what their vision is because they want to get feedback before they do it. But that is leaving a vacuum for other people to fill at this point. And as you know, that can be dangerous. All uh, very, very good insight, John. Yes, I applaud you for that. A number of questions are being asked by the Biden administration for, uh, regarding the Biden administration. Why are they going so fast? But the reason is uh, Biden said it yesterday at the press conference, timing. Uh, he wants to be revolutionary. He wants to be transformational. Uh, that uh, I think he learned a lot of lessons from the Obama administration, what worked and what didn't work in, in, in you know, some instances. They also have a short timeline here, John, because you, uh, you only have a couple of huge issues that you can do your first two years under any new administration because of the midterm elections. And if you don't get things done between now and I'd say the end of the year to maybe early in 20. Uh, 22, you're looking at the 2022, you know, midterm elections, which history, just numbers, stats would suggest it's not going to be good for the Democrats relative to the House. And I think the numbers game in the Senate would still signal that the Democrats would retain control of the Senate. But uh, you you see where I'm going. They 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 want to move pretty fast because if they think they they do have momentum now, there's no doubt about it. The Democrats are running in lockstep. Some people tell me this is not really the Biden administration. You know, this is the, the this is the Democrat leadership uh, ad, administration. Uh, we in in the Senate and and House leaders Pelosi at all. Uh, so, and he's just going along for the ride, if you will. I think that's an overstatement, but that's what I hear from pretty smart people in this town. They're, they're on a run and there, you saw the demeanor of Biden, uh, during the press conference saying, you know, we'll try to, uh, uh you know, work with the Republicans, but if you don't come where we want you to go, uh, we're going to do it. And that's the attitude that I'm seeing here. Well, and Vilsack has another timeline that he's got to be working with. Um, and again, this is he's made it apparent this is something of great importance to him personally um, in doing some grand uh, measure to address climate change. Um, he's got a 2023 farm bill staring at him that is going to be the serious debate starting next year. So he's got to lay a marker down fairly early in 2021 so they can have implementation rolling in early 2022 so it is already baked into the debate for the 2023 farm bill and baked into a baseline too i think yeah, he's exactly. correct there he's very accurate there also remember what we've said before april 22nd is earth day right. the white house i know is working with bill sack on some type of ag announcement i have no idea what it is and that's the accelerated process we have in this and you know in washington time that's a long time between now 
<laughs> April 22nd. Doesn't sound like, but <laughs> that's why they're really uh, working behind the scenes, John. They're up to something. I just don't know what it is right now. Right now, but you'll tell us later. Oh, I will. All right. Well, and we should note that you're not going to tell us, at least not in this venue, over the next couple of weeks. We're going to have a couple of weeks off here. Uh, next Friday is obviously Good Friday, and uh, we'll be away for that. And then I'm going to take a little vacation time the following week. So uh, give us a couple of weeks, and we'll be back here with tons of updates for you. Um, in the meantime, where are you going to be watching for Signal, Jim? Oh, well, it's the USDA reports next week. It's this growing U.S.-China, world-China, uh, West versus East uh, issues. Uh, you have the North Korea flaring up issues. We have a host of issues, of course, next Wednesday, I said, in Pittsburgh with Biden. So there's plenty uh, on my plate. I can't promise this, but I'm going to ask uh, uh uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, Grady from, uh, you know, pro farmer, Brian Grady, if maybe he can open up the pro farmer site, maybe for a week or two as a gratis to signal to noise, uh, listeners and readers. So that you can follow, uh, the pro farmer account of which I have my daily column. I call it an ag digital newspaper now, cause it's longer, uh, <laughs> you know, you know, you know, called policy updates. I can't, I can't conf I can't do be a hundred percent on that, but watch for that. Go if you're not a pro farmer subscriber, shame on you. But if you but if you are, make sure you go to profarmer.com for my daily information because a lot of that is the fodder uh, for what we talk about each uh, each Friday, John. So I think that that would be a good PR move if nothing else I'll, for our I'll listeners. Twist his arm. I, I twist his arm. Yeah, do, do it. I, I know the real guy over there that can do this for us. I'll twist his arm, and we'll get a promo code. Yes, we'll get you a, a little, a short little sneak peek. Yes, what, uh, that's Bowl. all Maybe I need. Because right. then we'll you'll know what I'm reporting each day, and and that'll hopefully keep you in the loop. Okay. All right. Well, we will work on that. All right, Jim, as always, uh, appreciate the great insights this week. I'm going to miss the conversation the next couple of weeks. We'll be back in uh, three weeks with more GC Signals and Oil.